Well, good evening. Grateful that you're here tonight. Wednesday night's a special night for us. Wednesday night, uh, nine years ago, on July 15th, our church started in the backyard. Uh, we had a barbecue the week before, and then that following, we had a barbecue on Thursday night, had about 80 people, and then that week after, they're like, hey, we should do this again, and I'm like, well, I'm busy on Thursday, so can we do it on Wednesday? And uh, that's how Journey started. The following Wednesday, we started reading the Bible and started playing worship, and uh, God has done great things. Last week, Jeremy kind of concluded and challenged you, if you were here, who are you going to invite to church? The push was, not just our church, we're not trying to build Journey the Kingdom. We're not trying to make our church great. We're trying to make the kingdom of God amazing to other people and give that away. And what I've found out is the more that I give away and the more that I give God up and give him to other people, the more that I grow and the more that I receive. The thing that gets me excited about the gospel is when you're working with someone and all of a sudden you see the light turn on or there's a moment where their life shifts and changes and all of a sudden it becomes alive to them. And that's when my heart just gets so excited for the kingdom. There was a point last week where Jeremy was saying, who are you going to pray for? Who's you going to invite to church? He was, he was asking himself, who, when's the last time he um, invited someone to church? And, and that's an important thing. It's important to start inviting people to church because you've got to then share your faith. We're coming to the end of John tonight. It's after a year and a half. I think Jeremy looked at it last night. We or yesterday, we started in January of 2018 on this book, and we're now concluding it tonight. And it's been a long journey. And there was a moment in last week's reading where Jesus had him cast out a net. And I want you to think about your life. And there was a net cast. And I don't know, for whatever reason, the number 153 comes up, and that's how many fish were in the net. To the point where the net would normally break, but because Jesus is strong enough, his net didn't follow. But what happens if our life was to cast a net and impact 153 people in our life? You know how great the kingdom of God is? I actually was going to do the math. Say there's like 47 people or 67 people times 153. The number would be pretty big. And that would be the impact. Well, let me tell you something separate. This is kind of free tonight. That if you know anybody that struggled with drugs and alcohol, the number says that it affects about 100 people around you. So if we can impact the kingdom and we can have an impact of 100 people around us, we can transform and change our lives. And it can also impact in a negative way when doing, doing things away from what God is doing in our life. It's taken us a year and a half to get to tonight. And I want to challenge you, and I'm, we're going to ask in just a second, what have you got out of the book of John? Maybe you haven't been here for all the messages. Maybe you've only been here for three or four. Maybe you've been here for all of them. Maybe you've been here for half of them. But I want to ask, what have you taken away from the Gospel of John? Maybe just in your own reading. I just remember in January of 2018, we got up here and we started speaking these first words. And now we come to 21. But at the beginning, it says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created, it created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought and his life brought light to everyone. Light shines in darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. That's the beginning, and tonight we're gonna read the end. And I want to ask you the question: 
What have you received from the book of John? And we're only going to spend like two minutes, so I'm not looking for you to give your whole synopsis of, of the book of John. But let me give you some examples. The beginning of, of John says that God, Jesus was God, 100% man, 100% God. John the Baptist, a little bit later in that chapter, basically said Jesus was the Son of God and he was the one that we've been waiting for. Then they called the first disciples, and tonight we're going to see the disciples kind of have this, this wake-up call. Then there was this moment where Nicodemus comes in and talks about being born again, and he says, do I need to go in my mom's womb? And he says, no, you're going to be born a spiritual rebirth. Then in John 3, 16, we talk about this love, this agape love that God has. Then we see the Samaritan woman in chapter 5 and her amazing story and how she transforms her community because she's impacted and touched by Jesus. Jesus has miracles and healings all throughout John. He talks about, uh, he walks on water. He says he's the bread of life. He in, in ministers to a woman caught in adultery. At one point, he tells us that he is the light of the world. And then the next chapter, he talks about being spiritually blind and dealing with spiritual blindness. He talks about being the good shepherd. He raises his best friend from the dead. He has these two women, Mary and Martha, one worshiping him and one kind of in a codependency outrage. There's a moment where he enters into his triumphant entry in, in Matthew or John chapter 13. There's this foot washing. There's a betrayal. At one point in 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 15, he says, I am the true vine. 16, they talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. 17, this is amazing prayer where he prays to God for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for future believers. And then it gets to a place where Peter denies him. He's beaten, he's hung, he's killed, he, and he, he raises again in the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about him appearing to the others, up to 500 people, it says. So I want you to go around the table. If you haven't been to all the messages, that's not the point. What, if, what one thing can you get out of the book of John? I just gave you that. I've, I actually have a picture. When you go to seminary, one of the things that you're supposed to do is kind of do an outline of, of, of a book. So this is First John, but you're supposed to just look at the book and kind of get some overview. One of the things that you need to do is look at the book of John. This is a First John. It's not the same book. But you're to get an idea of what the whole book means. What the, what's the 21 chapters? If you said, what is the book of John, could you say it in 30 seconds or less? So go around the table. We're only going to do two minutes because I want to ask three questions. So what one thing have you got out of the book of John or maybe through some of the message? So go. Keep moving around the table because we literally have a minute left because I want to get to bigger questions. Okay, so if you got to wrap it up, obviously we can't talk about 21 chapters in two minutes, so the point is this, 
in our faith walk, we need to learn to summarize quickly. If you've ever encountered, they say that we encounter three or 400 people a day, gas station or grocery store. You walk around hundreds of people throughout the day. And at the end of your life, you've walked around millions of people. And if you can summarize a text or a word or a, a scripture or something in, in a small amount of time, you can impact people for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus wants us to be. He cast out a net and he caught 153. And you know what? It would be great for me. I feel like God wants me to raise up 100 leaders and then get to the next level and add more to that. And I believe that starts with uh, understanding who Jesus is. And so John is a great place to, to start. And now we're at the end, and he's appearing to the final disciples before we get into the, the book of Acts. And uh, we're not going to the book of Acts. We've gone through the book of Acts, and tonight we're going to conclude. And, and I, I love endings. I love... I love um, I have one of those minds that I watch a movie, and if you're really, I took some theater classes because uh, I was a character in college and high, in high school, and uh, I took some theater classes, and they talk a little bit about how a movie starts, and you see the ending. They show a 30-second clip of the ending, and as soon as I see that, I'm trying to figure out how it's going to play out at the very end, and so that's what we're doing here today is we're, we're going to talk about the ending, but I don't think it's the ending of our walk, it's really the beginning of something amazing. I think that's kind of extending from last week. Have you ever known someone that's come to church, or maybe it's been you, and they just get on fire? They accept the Lord, they get all excited, they get their first Bible. It's like, I bought a Bible and, and I'm reading it. And you're so excited about the gospel and you're going to church and you can feel it and they're worshiping and singing songs like we were tonight and you can just feel chills all over your bones and how excited you get for the gospel. Man, it is awesome. But have you ever seen someone do that same thing? After you've walked the walk and all of a sudden it just dies. There's a moment where something happens. Sometimes it's a relationship. You know how many relationships have pulled people right out of church? Sometimes it's a death. Sometimes it's a drug addiction. Sometimes it's a disease. But all of a sudden something happens where they're walking the walk, they're doing the right thing, and bam, all of a sudden you've backslided. You've drifted. You're on this desert island and what happened a week ago, you were in church crying, saying this is the best message I've ever heard. Probably not from me, but from someone else. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, something happens, and your faith walk disintegrates. Jesus is no longer your Savior. I mean, you don't lose your salvation, but he's saying he's not your Savior. The Bible's no longer part of your morning or, or daily attitude. Church is no longer. Fellowship's no longer. And all of a sudden, you're dry, you're dark, you're distant. In a short amount of time, you've lost everything. It happens all the time in church. Peter has that same moment. Peter's coming out of something that he's struggling with, just like you and I have to deal with. Peter's in this moment where he has fallen. His mission is now, and, and his purpose and mission is kind of drifted. He hasn't lost anything. He hasn't necessarily done anything negative. But Jesus wants to bring him back into ministry. He wants to awaken him into a life being alive for the gospel. He wants to challenge him in life. There's going to be circumstances. 
that are going to destroy us and try and cripple us. And the enemy is going to try and drag us down. And we are going to have to pick ourselves up. And we're going to have to let the Holy Spirit guide us into that place. And what happens is the farther, the, the, the first Sunday you miss, it's like, oh, it's okay. Uh, you know, the beach was nice. And then next thing you know, five Sundays, ten Sundays, a year. And now you're so far and so dark and distant. God's trying to bring us back. And he shows this at the end with Peter. Peter's had this moment where he's denied Jesus three times. His hope is dissolved. He's full of guilt and shame. He's in this place of uh, resignation due to the loss of his enthusiasm, due to the loss of his dreams and his purpose. You know what? We can get lost in our own faith. And our own purpose because, well, I was supposed to teach or I was supposed to do communion or I'm supposed to be a junior high or high school leader or I'm, I'm going to be an elder or whatever it is. And we can get lost in our purpose and all of a sudden we're, we're disgruntled and, and distant from Jesus. This story is really amazing for us because we're trying to dig through guilt and shame. If you've ever been injured or hurt or wounded by another human being or you've done something that you're guilty or ashamed of, you know that it takes some motivation. It takes some, something spiritual inside of you to get you back into that place. Guilt was an underlying factor. It seemed like uh, Peter was abandoning, abandoning the disciple that he once was. Part of his abandonment was due to this guilt and shame of denying Jesus. The other part seemed to be due to he didn't have a purpose anymore. Jesus was, was dead. He'd already resurrected. It's not like he hadn't seen Jesus. It wasn't like he wasn't just at the, 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 uh, the, um, the, the tomb a couple weeks ago. He's already seen Jesus a couple times. He knows he's alive. But he's still not connected because something's still missing. And Jesus uses this last part of John to help us understand what could be missing in us. His world was rocked to the core. You know, I, I was talking to a, a group of leaders yesterday, and I was talking, and if, if, I, I hope I don't offend you if you're here today, but our church has about 10 or 15, maybe I think I counted last night, 19 families that have lost a child, maybe more. That's unusual. So when we talk about rock to the core, we're talking about that. That's pretty tough. And the question is, is God going to be everything or is he going to be nothing? And Peter didn't have that, but he's got something that's holding him back from truly going out and doing the work and will of God. God seemed to Peter small. Even though he was racing John because he was alive and they were supposed to go to Galilee and, and meet him and he had resurrected. He actually seen and touched and ate. He knew that Jesus was alive. But God, for whatever purpose, seemed small. It didn't seem as big as when Jesus was alive before he went to the cross. Something had happened inside of Peter. Imagine you being in that place with Peter. Would you have felt the same? Maybe you have personally today. Maybe you're there right now. Lost, hopeless, no purpose. Peter remembered these words. And I don't know if you go back to John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's something that created distance between Peter and Jesus. And he was apart and he felt like he could do nothing. Peter obviously didn't feel, though, as that he was connected to Jesus anymore. 
He couldn't even fish. If you remember last week's story, he couldn't even catch a fish. He came out and they're like, hey, did you catch any fish? No. But he's like, I'm going to go back and fish. He couldn't catch a fish. Jesus teaches him. And at that moment, Jesus teaches him. He realizes, hey, there's something that I can do. Help is on the way. And that help is Jesus. Peter's going to have a revelation tonight. He's going to have a reinstatement. Jesus hasn't given up on him just like he hasn't given up on you. No matter what you've done last night, last week, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, he hasn't given up on you. And he wants to break the chains of, of, of things that you're struggling with, that guilt and shame and that hopelessness, so that you can be reinstated tonight or you can go out and live that mission of catching that 153 in your net of life. So that you can be as impactful as Peter was. Or just, just simply touching another person's life over your life would be worth it. Jesus saw Peter differently than Peter saw Peter. Jesus sees you differently. He sees you as a, a kingdom maker, a kingdom uh, a disciple. He sees you as something that will make the kingdom better. Jesus saw Peter as a gift. A gift to man, a gift to the community, a gift to the church, and he is to us. Jesus wasn't finished with Peter, even though Peter felt distant and disconnected. Jesus knew who Peter was, because in Matthew he said, upon this rock I'm going to build the church, and nothing is going to withstand it. Today we're going to watch Peter get reinstated and his life change right before our eyes. In just a matter of a few minutes, a conversation with the Savior takes him from distant, hopeless, broken, and guilty into a restated, reinstated, missional man that's going to uh, revolutionize the world. So if you're able to stand, let's stand. Let's read the first couple famous verses. Talk a little bit about them and see what Jesus will do together with us tonight. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, this is John chapter 1, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16 says, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Tonight, my question is, if you're not feeling whole tonight, you're feeling distant, you're feeling not redeemed, you're not feeling what... Uh, um, our communion was about, that their stripes are healing us and that we can live a righteous life by Mark. Let's reinstate ourselves as we listen to the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit start to work through you so that you can walk out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ. So let's spend some time in prayer. Here's the thing that I've learned. When I sit and someone's speaking and I ask God to speak through that person, no matter how good or bad it is, God always speaks to my heart. So I, I challenge you tonight, don't listen to me, listen to the Lord and he will speak and move in your life. So let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you work. 
As we listen to this very famous story of, of, of feeding Jesus' sheep and love and, and, and all the things that are about the end of the gospel, Lord, I pray that it will ignite something new and it will begin something tonight on this beautiful Wednesday night, Lord. I pray that the book of John will come alive. I pray that it will inspire us. And I pray, God, that you will do something powerful in the name of Jesus right before our eyes. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So here's my challenge. We're ending the book. We've got about six or seven more verses before we close. I don't know what you're reading right now. I, I've been reading a bunch of books this summer, books in the Bible. My challenge would be to read the book of John in the next 30 days or 60 days, depending on how quick you're reading, and go through it and highlight stuff because we've just taken a year and a half and realize what you've learned and, and, and write questions down. The books need to become part of who we are. And, uh, you know, after you finish a Bible study or a book, it's always good to go back and reread it and uh, grow from it. So go through it, circle some things, ask questions some, to some people at your table next week or through some of your leaders or pastors and say, what did this mean as you're going through the Bible? Ask questions and be willing to hear answers, and I promise you, you will grow. You know, there was a moment in my life where I felt disconnected and I needed to be reinstated. It happens a lot in ministry. Ministry's hard. Life is hard. And there's many times in our life that there needs to be some sort of attitude check or, or um, mindset change or just new vision for who God is and where he is because there's some sort of distance. For whatever reason, there's this gravity pull away from God constantly in our life. Do you guys feel that? You wake up and instantly there's Facebook and TV and coffee and all these things that are trying to pull us out from the will of God. And our job is to snap us back into line and get right with him and make him our first and foremost. That's what God wants us to have. And today we're going to see that Peter is having this revelation. He's being reinstated. And from this moment on, he's a changed disciple. What if you, in the next 30 minutes received something from the Lord, and it changed the way you look. And it wasn't because the message was so strong or so powerful, but you were open to being reinstated, to be reengaged, to be awoke for the kingdom of God. And start looking at your life as I am placed in this world at this job, doing this family, uh, in this family, with this person, in this house, to do great work for the kingdom. It happens to Peter. Peter's a fisherman. He's lost his ministry, and all he knows to do as Jesus is gone and he's waiting for him to come back is, I'm going to go back and fish. I'm just going to go back to work, even though he's been called into greater things. And we tend to do that sometimes in our life. We tend to go back to what we think we know and what we think we should do, but ultimately, that's not what God wants for us. Jesus has never disowned Peter as his disciple. It was Peter himself who gave up on this plan. Something inside of him, that guilt and that shame of denying the Lord, drove him to a place of distance. God had plans for him, and Jesus called Peter to be a fisher of men. We see that in Luke chapter 5. We see that in Matthew chapter 4. Not a fisherman. I think maybe he misunderstood. A fisher of men, not a fisherman. Peter forgot that until last week when he was out there and he cast his net and they got no fish. 
And then all of a sudden, he said, Jesus called from the shore, put it on the right-hand side, even though you haven't caught anything all night, and they catch this 153 fists. And then Jesus remembers Luke chapter 3. Jesus says, I'm teaching you to be a fisher of men. You're not to be a fisherman. You know, I've been blessed to go to Israel a couple times, and one of my favorite places, I had a, my first time I went to Israel, it's called the Church of Primacy. And uh, this place is awesome. This is the moment, this is the place where Jesus and Peter have this revelation. And inside the church, they have this rock that they had like breakfast on, supposedly, you know. If you look on inside the church, you get in there and you're sitting there and people are touching it and you're not supposed to touch it, but everybody's touching it, you know, you're not supposed to. I didn't because I'm such a good Christian, I just, <laughs> Right. But in this place, this is the rock, and they've got a bunch of churches around a couple of rocks that Jesus wept on, and, and, and this is an amazing place. This is where Peter gets reinstated, and this is a beautiful place, and there was a moment when I, I'm like, hey, honey, you want to go on the rock and, and, and pray for a little while, and I, I play my song. She goes, no, not really. I'm like, okay. Shot to the heart, because I'm like, oh, I thought this was going to be like this romantic, beautiful moment, and she's like, no, I'm going to go somewhere else, so I went on the rock. And I played this song, it was really popular at the time, Holy Spirit, and I sat on this rock for like seven minutes, and I just prayed, and I felt like God was speaking to me. And he wasn't speaking to me like, Jeff, you're going to be this amazing pastor, Jeff. It felt like he was just like, I love you, Jeff. I love you. I love you. And it felt like I was being reinstated to another level in my faith that I can experience the love of Jesus. And then, as I go back up to the church, I, I couldn't find the picture today in time, right around this area, because this is the agape love, brotherly love, that we're going to talk about in a second. They had all these shells in the, in the vision of love. And I took this picture, because the Lord just kept saying, I love you. It was nothing more than that. And it felt like it was a wave of his love just coming over me at the Sea of Galilee and the place where Peter was reinstated. Felt like I received something here as well. Jesus wants you to have that same experience tonight. Wave after wave of love. He said, do you love me? If you say yes, then your job is to do as Peter was. Feed the sheep. Go to your house. Feed the people who are your neighbors around you. Your work, your school. Feed the sheep. That's what Jesus did, and that's what his challenge was to Peter. And if it would be to Peter, why wouldn't it be to us? Peter once pledged his unwavered loyalty to Jesus, claiming that if others fell away, I would never, I would die for you, Jesus. But we all know that's not true, because when the time came, he denied him. The first time Jesus is now reinstating him, he says, do you love me? Jesus asked, and as if it was saying to him, do you love me? Then you love your fellow disciples. That's what he was really trying to ask. Do you love me more than your fellow disciples? Peter says, you notice that he doesn't claim that he is greater. The last time that he had this kind of intimate conversation, Lord, you'll know that if everyone leaves, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. I'll die with you tonight. And the truth is, that wasn't the truth. He got a little puffy. Here, he doesn't get puffy. He doesn't feel like he's greater or more loyal than any of the disciples. He just says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You could see the humbleness. He tells Peter, then feed my lambs. And he's referring to the younger sheep, those that were below him. 
The younger sheep were more vulnerable and they were easily influenced. He's like, feed my sheep. Your job is not to be a fisherman. Your job is to be a fisher of men. And the first time he's saying, you, you need to look at these younger sheep and, 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 and help them. The second time he calls him, he, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. He seems to be making a reference of those who were mature but needing a shepherd. You know, we will be lost without a shepherd. We tend to wander. We tend to get distant. We tend to walk out of, uh, out of the will of God all the time. I was always told that God didn't want us to go in a cave with a Bible and just reading on our own because it's not healthy. Because our mind and, and our aloneness will twist the words into something weird. The enemy will, will get in the, in the middle of our mind and we need fellowship so that someone in this room is like, Jeff, that was a little weird. That wasn't exactly what it said. The second time that he's saying that, he's telling us to, uh, to help the mature uh, the sheep because they need a shepherd. There's nothing worse than a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. The sheep don't know where to go. The sheep are dumb. We're all just a bunch of dumb sheep. And that's how it's supposed to be. The third time Jesus asked this question, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By this time, Peter was hurt. Lord, why do you keep doing this to me? You're now offending me. Listen, you're breaking my heart. You know I love you. I can't take it anymore. There's this moment of frustration. He says, you know I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus answers, well, feed my sheep. It was Jesus telling Peter, you need to find a pasture. You need to take your sheep. If you're the shepherd, you need to now lead your sheep and feed them and find a pasture so that they can go out and do the work and will and ministry that Jesus had called them to do. Fish need water. Birds need wind. Sheep needs pastures as well as a shepherd, which was the world. They were to quit fishing and start fishing for men, casting the net for souls. Too often we get caught up in what we think we're supposed to do. Too often we get uh, derailed from the will of God and next thing you know we're doing work or we're doing family or we're doing health instead of doing God and doing all that other stuff after the fact. There's this gravity, there's this pull that's pulling us away from God. The world, there was a moment where uh, several years ago I got in the car with my sister, I was like, 15 years old and she was like 19 she got this little crappy vw bug and we're driving to san diego it was like a 90 minute drive and and i'm not kidding you for 75 minutes she told me everything that was in the car that we drove by was the enemy the radio's the enemy the doorknob the tires it's all the enemy and i'm like oh my gosh i think i'm just gonna jump out of the car and roll out of the car because i couldn't take it you know, and, and finally, I, we, were, we were to Oceanside, and we were getting to, uh, I think I'm like, you got to stop. I can't take it anymore. I get it. We're all in the enemy. Your mouth is the enemy right now because it's killing me. But in truth is, the world has a lot of devices that is trying to draw us away from God. 
And in this conversation, normally what we would do when we teach this message on a Sunday or something, we talk about brotherly love versus agape love. And let's do that just for a second so that we kind of don't demean this, but there's two types of love, phileo and, and agape love. One is a divine love, one is a brotherly love. The standard teaching of agape love is the highest level, the purest love. It's a divine love used to express the essential nature of God. This weekend, we talked about John, 1 John chapter 4, uh, four 7 and 8. And from that, it said, God is love and love comes from God. Is and from. It's the same today as we're looking at that same agape love. It is from God and it is God. It's to be God. And this is agape love. It's a divine love that separates us from, uh, it separates our love from God's love. This, this brotherly love is distinguished as more personal than the two terms, and it refers to this brotherly love most often exhibited in closest friends, best friends who display generous and affectionate love for each other and seek each other to, uh, to make each other happy. You know how, you know, if you're married, sometimes you treat your best friend better than you treat your spouse, Right? You got your best friend and they say something stupid or make a rude remark or a text and you're like, oh, that's just Dustin or that's Jeremy or that's just, you know, Kim. But if it's your spouse, you start picking at him. What did you say? <laughs> right? You have this brotherly affection, but when it's in a marriage or a relationship, you kind of hone in on that. Right? And this brotherly love that they're talking about is something that's impactful. The first time Jesus asked, do you love me? He's talking about, do you divinely love me in this agape love? And the only type of love that Peter can respond is, I, I brotherly love you. Jesus asks again, do you agape me? And he says, I brotherly love you. And finally, Jesus comes to the end as he's reinstating him the third time. He's like, do you just brotherly love me at least? And Peter responds, I brotherly love you because that's all I really can. Apart from God, I can't agape love. I need to engage in that love. I need to be in that foundation of love. We talked about it on Sunday a lot. I need to understand that love so that I can learn to agape love. And I can't do it on my own. It's only from the spirit of God. And it's only in the will of God, and it's with his power that I can truly live out and do the work of God to really be happy. Now, we get into the next part, verse 18, and instantly Jesus talks about death. He's just reinstated Peter. He's just said, I've just brought you back three times from you denying me. Now I'm, I brought you back in. I'm reinstating you as a missionary. I'm reinstating you as a church leader and as a pastor. And you're going to find he's basically the one that's the foundation of the church. Still today, people are, are using him as the, the first uh, father of the church. But now instantly in verse 18, Jesus starts talking about Peter's death. And as we read it, I want you to ask why. Why after he reinstates him, is he talking about death? Here's kind of this interesting statement. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you won't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know about what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. You know what I found out in my Christian walk? 
that this word acceptance and accepting my death is part of my life that, in, that really invigor, uh, in, uh, reinstates me so that I can live a, a, a great life for Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by that. I'm going to die one day. That's just going to happen. And you know what? Today, I know what's going to happen on that day. My Savior is going to welcome me. And if it was today, if it's right now on stage, he's going to say, well done. You didn't do a bad job, son. Good and faithful servant. The day that I accept that I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven and be with my, my Savior, that's the day that I can live and truly live on this earth and, and enjoy what I have, what small amount of time that I have on this life. Too often the world starts getting in the way and 401ks and house payments and weddings and disease and destruction and death and, 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 and jobs and flat tires and, you know, struggles. But there's a moment which we understand that's all meaningless and we need to just bring it together. Jesus is saying, wake up. Wake up. Too often we are dead to this world. We are dead to our jobs. Anybody work a long day today? Yeah. Put in a lot more hours than you were supposed to. And now you're to wake up. How? Coffee, tea, drugs, alcohol, whatever drives you, no. We are to wake up with Jesus Christ. Here's a wake-up call for Peter. And it's a wake-up call for us. I am to follow my call. Your call might be different than my call, but I am right now waking up for the Lord and challenging you. Don't give in to this world, but let Jesus thrive in your life. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had a wake-up call from Jesus? Or do you need one today? I want you guys to spend a couple of minutes on this. And let me just tell you mine before I close. Uh... In, in October 28th, I had a heart attack on, on Sunday at church, and it was a wake-up call. I've had several wake-up calls with drugs and alcohol and, and, and marriages and divorce, but that was one of my recent ones. And that's God waking us up and saying, take every moment that we live for the kingdom of God and be alive and wake up for it. So talk a little bit about a wake-up your call, and uh, then we'll close out this section. So go ahead and talk about the wake-up call. Or if you need one, tell people you need one and maybe they'll pray for you. Okay, let's kind of wrap it up. I know we're praying and wake up calls are important. If you've been to a hotel and you're not a, you're not sure you're going to get up, you need a wake up call that usually gets you out of the out of the bed and to answer the phone and we need these wake up calls. God designed wake up calls in our life to actually re uh, recalibrate us. That's part of our life. If you've done any work on on uh, automobiles at all, you've got a distributor and things go out of whack and you got to bring back things into timing so it kind of works and, and, and runs correctly, spark plugs and wires and all these things need to be aligned so that we can truly do the work that God has called us to. Let's finish these last five verses and talk about something towards the end. Peter turned. So Peter's now got this wake-up call. He's been reinstated. He's talked about his death. He's just heard how he's going to die. 
And now Jesus is giving him, uh, now he turns to, he, he's engaging something else. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who leaned over to Jesus during the, the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked, well, what about him? You know what? Too often in ministry, too often in church, we are worried about other people's walks and not about our own. My wife has this saying for us in our family, if we just focus on me, myself, and I and my problems and not even my, my wife's problems, she's always, Jeff, just focus on you and get out of my hair. Then, I, then we can do a lot of good for our family. And if we can just focus on ourselves too often, well, what about the disciple that you love? What about him? How's he going to die? Too often in church, we're worried about everybody else instead of turning that finger around on us. And that's what we see here with Jesus, uh, Peter dealing with Jesus. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, Peter, he says, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that the disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved wouldn't die. But that isn't what he said. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? Too often, you are worried about your position and, and where everybody else stands and not what you're supposed to do. There, when Journey used to be at the Boys and Girls Club, we were there about six or eight months. And my daughter, Shelby, she's not here right now. She's with the kids. She threw up all over the floor. And, of course, as parents, the first thing you do is, and especially when it's in public, generally you're supposed to clean it up, right? Because nobody else is going to clean up your kid's puke, right? So we get down and start picking it up, and I'm not going to tell the person's name, but Jeremy stepped right over it. <laughs> and didn't clean up the, the stuff. And, and, and Jeff Foss told the story after that, used to be our old worship leader, he says, everybody's not called to clean the puke. Some are called to do other things. And he said, you shouldn't worry about cleaning up the puke. That was my job and my wife's job, and that's what we did. Don't worry about other people. It's not Jeremy's job. Jeremy was actually setting up the church for Sunday, not cleaning up my daughter's puke. He had another responsibility. And I, I'm, I'm making fun of him, but it was really his job to do other things. My job was to clean up my daughter's puke. A lot of times we misunderstood, understand what Jesus was, does in our life. I was with my sister. Me and my sister got to spend six days in Mexico doing pastor conferences last week. And we were talking about the Bible. And I had this revelation that we're going to get up to heaven. And he's like, you guys missed it all. You got about 3% right. Because humans jack everything up. And we're going to get up there, and he's like, yeah, you got a few of the things right, but really you need to turn it, and there's a key that's going to open up a lot more than we don't really understand. We're going to get up there, and we're like, all this stuff was humanity, and he wanted us to see it completely different, and that's what we see here. We misunderstood. We overanalyzed. Any overanalyzers in the room? Let's cast Satan out right now. In the name of Jesus, go away. There's nothing wrong with overanalyzing unless it kills and destroys your relationships and the people around you and your own soul and your own peace and comfort. And sometimes we overanalyze. Let's get to these last few verses. This is my favorite part. The disciple is the one who testifies to these events, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved and recorded them here. And we know that he, these are accounts are accurate. 
Jesus did many other things. If they were all written down, I would suppose the whole world couldn't contain all that was written at the book. You know, who's got their Bible here? Everybody go to the very last page, right before the maps. Why is there blank pages in your Bible? Do you know? That's actually your part as we end the Gospel of John. That's your part to live out your testimony and you continue to write what God is doing in your life. You can do notes, but this is really you writing the rest of what God is going to do in your life. I've got like eight pages, so it seems like I've got a lot of stuff to do, right? Some only have one. This last page, the end, is just the beginning. We just did a series, the end and the beginning. The end of John is the beginning of us stepping into ministry. If you didn't get a lot out of John or you don't really understand it, I'm challenging you to read it in 30 days. I was told when I was locked up in jail that if I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in less than 30 days, all together, Jesus starts to come alive. And I did. I read them all. Gospel a week. And you start to see the Gospel come alive. We are to engage the gospel. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. I'm to look at the end of the Bible and there's empty pages that I'm to fill out for the kingdom of God so that I can grow and I can move. I look at this last sentence and it challenges me. Why do I make God so small? This last sentence says, Jesus did many other things. We weren't supposed to know everything Jesus did. The gospel wasn't meant so that we knew everything. The, do you guys know that Genesis, there's, there's two chapters on creation. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You know they're basically the same story, told in a different way? That tells you how much he wants us to worry about how the world was made. Then there's 21 chapters at the end in Revelation. He's more interested in at the end. There's so much that we don't know. Our job is just to be faithful and take what he has and make him part of our daily life and become victorious in Jesus Christ. Writing that last book or those empty pages and filling them out for all the blessings that God has for you. Look at those last pages and start writing something in there. Lord, I'm going to be reinstated tonight. Lord, I'm going to become a disciple. Lord, I'm going to take a devotional. I'm going to make some changes. Lord, I'm going to make these next 30 days, these next 30 years meaningful because we need a wake-up call. My wake-up call, I've had many of them, but, you know, I had a heart attack and then I turned 50. And my, my mindset is, where's my relationship with my wife? Where's my relationship with my kids? Where's my relationship with my parents, my sister? All of those things are important to me. And where's my fellowship with people in my neighborhood and in my church? We're to stand on the gospel and live it out. You have been reinstated tonight if you've been disconnected. Your job is to keep reinstated and wake up. And use the gospel and use the writings of Paul in the Old Testament to live out the will of God. At the end... It's just the beginning. There's going to be a moment where I die, and I'm going to meet my maker, and it's really the beginning of my life. It's the beginning of eternity. And today can be a beginning here on earth for someone. It starts right now. So let this end of the chapter, end of the book, be the beginning of something beautiful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We love you, King Jesus. We thank you tonight that someone here was prayed for, reinstated, and is feeling the gospel. Lord, teach us how to agape you. 
Holy Spirit, move deeply in our life. Keep us right. Keep us connected. Reinstate us. Reengage us and wake us up, Lord. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, we're so, thanks for being here for the whole Gospel of John. If you missed a bunch of it, great. We start a new book next week. It should be really good. Uh, come back. We're excited that you're here. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Amen.